Let's pray, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the Word this morning, looking at what the Lord would have for us. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so very much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. And as we just sang uh, songs of your attributes, songs of your wisdom, songs of your holiness, and uh, the work that you've done through your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And we are so very thankful that you've given us this book, the Bible, and how sufficient it is for us for life and godliness. We're so very thankful that you've given us a way of salvation in Jesus, which is sufficient for us, and we need no other thing. We, need, we, we don't need to supplement it with anything else. We're so very thankful for a church family that helps us, and uh, we're so very thankful for all that you've blessed us with. Uh, keep our eyes focused on what you would want for us to learn this morning, and help us just seek to honor and glorify you. We thank you so very much. In your son's name, amen. Uh, this morning, uh, I was... Uh, <laughs> I was watching some documentaries. Uh, it was early, and my wife was a little upset that I was watching documentaries in bed on my tablet. But uh, I was watching uh, documentaries on, uh, on cults and, uh, you know, f- false teachers who, who have people that follow them and they, they teach bad things, th- those types of cults. And there was a lot of strange beliefs and a lot of strange behaviors uh, Maybe the most interesting one that I saw was a guy who, uh, <laughs> everybody wore a crown when you would come to worship, like a crown crown, and uh, he would wear uh, camo, he had a camo suit, like, like, like a three-piece suit, but with a camo pattern. And what else? Oh, yeah, he had an AK-47 mounted to the pulpit, a little strange. Also, his crown was made out of used shell casings, also kind of an interesting uh, thing. And, oh yeah, to become a member, you also have to have an assault rifle, kind of an interesting uh, belief system. And I thought, what would cause somebody to believe something like that? Because the stuff that they were talking about was absolutely crazy. It was crazy. And I thought, why, why would somebody believe something like that? And I was reminded of this particular passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just turn with me quickly to Ecclesiastes 9. And just notice in verse 3, Ecclesiastes 9, 3, it says, This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Kind of an interesting uh, phrase, that inside of the hearts of men is uh, wickedness, evil, this word for evil is the Hebrew word raw. It has the idea of depraved thoughts, wicked thoughts, thoughts with uh, an intention to hurt, thoughts with the intention to, to do something opposite of what God would want. 
So, so the, the hearts of men are, are full of evil, wicked, rebellious, depraved thoughts. Okay? That, that, that controls us, the way we think, the way we make decisions. All of that that's inside of the heart is controlled by evil, right? This is what he teaches. We, the Bible will later on with Christ talk about this new birth that we have and that we have these new intentions and we, we have this new heart that's given to us by Jesus. But, but that, 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 new, that new birth that we have doesn't erase that flesh. And we still struggle with the flesh. And the flesh is driven by all of this evil. There's another thing he says. Notice the, the ESV translates it madness. If you happen to have a New American Standard, it uses the word insanity. That man's heart is full of insanity. The word for insanity or madness is literally to be crazy, to, to, to be delusional. Uh, has the idea of being irrational, acting in a way that's not normal, uh, unstable, uh, willing to violate norms. And so when you think about the insanity of man, especially when it comes to God, man is totally willing to act irrational. He is completely given to delusions. Not only that, but how many times have we heard within the past four years crazy, crazy delusional thoughts from people all around us? Insane things. Things that that you would go, how could any person even believe that to be true, let alone people that we know? But I guarantee you, as we look back through history, history is full of of people who have this weird mixture of wickedness and insanity, and we all have this. And so when I think about, when I think about these, these false teachers, these cults, and I look at these people who, who are acting crazy wicked, and I, and I don't mean that in the way that a Bostonian would use it. Uh, we're talking about somebody who's insane and is wicked. It makes sense that Crazy, wicked people are drawn to crazy, wicked things. That makes sense. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of easy for us to detach ourselves and say, well, of course, they believe crazy, wicked things. But I don't. I don't. Unfortunately, that is not true. This morning in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, we're going to see something that, I'm going to be honest, it may be, may be one of the more scarier verses in the Bible. I, I don't know if you have a list of scary verses that make you sweat. This one definitely makes me sweat when I think about the principle found here. And the, the principle is not a fun one to think through because of the implications that it means with my own thinking and, and the thinking of people that I know and the people that I love. So just notice what Solomon says in Proverbs 21, verse 2. We're just going to be in this one this morning. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Uh-oh. If that doesn't make you sweat a little bit, it should, that we realize that we always think we're right. We think we're right. We don't think we're crazy, and we don't think we're wicked, but we are, right? Every way. We'll talk about this. 
And then it says, but the Lord weighs the heart. Oh, it's that second one that really scares you, right? So the first one is, okay, I just don't understand, and, and I always think I'm right. Who cares? The second verse is, but the Lord is the judge of that. Then that gets a little bit more uh, concerning. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at this assessment that God has of humanity. So it's this assessment from God. And we're just going to see two points from this verse, in verse 2. The first is that you and I are incapable of judging ourselves. I cannot make the right assessment of myself. You cannot make the right assessment of yourself. It's an important thing to know. And then secondly, God is the only one who is able and capable to assess us. Okay? So I can't judge myself. I can't assess myself. God's the one who assesses me. Now, just looking in this text, chapter 21, it's kind of an interesting chapter. So remember, the book of Proverbs, you have about the first 10 verses is kind of this, uh, this narrative of a father taking his son through a marketplace and talking about go here, go here, stay away from here, stay away from this person. And so there's this narrative that uh, we who are, who are trying to learn God's wisdom need a father to teach us because we're coming at this with children and we don't know. And we need to be told where to go, where not to go. We need to be told certain behaviors. God is the only one that's able to teach us those things, okay? God is the one who teaches us. And so when we come at wisdom, we we come at wisdom not from a position of we're wise and let's continue to grow in that wisdom. We come from a sense of we're children, we don't know, and we need our Heavenly Father to teach us. Then from about chapter 11 and to about chapter 26, give or take, It's the largest section in the book of Proverbs. And what you have is you have Solomon showing what a wise person does and what a wicked person does. And the point is for us to read this and go, okay, wise people do this. We're prone to do the foolish thing. Don't do the foolish thing. Do the wise thing. And the current in in all of chapter of all the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. So why do the wise people do what they do? It's because this is a product of fearing the Lord. And so a wise person will do this because they fear the Lord. And each chapter and each section has dealt with a different aspect of life. So that's why numerous times we've talked about the same things. We've talked about speech so many times. But we've talked about speech in different relationships. We're dealing with a book that was written a long time ago from a particular cultural view that is not our own. So when you and I think about an issue, we think about it like in an outline form. Here's number one. Here's the things that fall under number one. Here's number two. Here are the things that fall under number two. That's how we think. That's a Western way of thinking. Solomon is not that. He is Eastern. And when you think of an Eastern mindset, they will talk about something in a circle. So let's talk about family life and all the things concerning family life. Okay, let's talk about what does it mean to be a good citizen. And they'll talk about the same subjects, but with the intention of what does it mean to do this and what does it mean to do that. So a lot of times we see these things said over and over again, but with a different nuance. And the particular nuance in chapter 21 is really this. The wise are obedient to God. They're submissive to God. 
the wicked rebel. And so chapter 21 deals with this. And just notice the first three verses of chapter 21. I I know we haven't started talking about verse 2, but I think once you understand this context, I think you'll understand some of the important things that we need to learn here. So just notice the first three verses of chapter 21. It says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will talking about the sovereignty of God, okay? Then verse 2, uh, every, way of a man's, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. Then verse 3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Then in, from the rest of this, from verse 4 all the way down to verse 29, you have all these different scenarios of, what it, of a righteous person being obedient, a wicked person being rebellious. And notice what he says in verse 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Basically saying it doesn't matter what kind of wisdom you come or what kind of understanding you have that is never going to match or overcome the Lord. Human wisdom and perspective and understanding is very limited to the point that it can't even begin to match God's wisdom. Then verse 31, the horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The idea is the same. Humans have limitations, even if we think we can outmaneuver God. We might not be smarter, but we might be able to outmaneuver him. This proverb teaches us you can't do that. So what you have sandwiched in this are these five verses that deal with God, the character of God, the nature of wisdom. And the question is, why would Solomon sandwich so much between these, two, between these verses, these five verses? And, and the point is simply this. One, this is the theological underpinning that the wise think about when they live their life. And these are the theological reasons that they have for being obedient. These things are fundamental to understand. So, as I, so the question then could be, why should I serve the Lord? Last week we learned, because God's sovereign. What other choice do you have? Right? What he wants to have happen will happen. You can try to fight against it. You can try to change it. But it's not going to change. You're not that powerful. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's the ruler. You're not the ruler. You don't get to determine what's right and what's wrong for yourself. You are not your own. There is a king of kings who stands above all of us, and he is sovereign over us. You don't have the right to determine what's right, what's wrong, and which way you go. There's a sovereign God. This verse, we're going to see, why should I submit to God? He knows everything. He weighs the heart. He sees everything. But not only that, You don't even know what's right and what's wrong. And you cannot assess yourself. You can't look at yourself and judge yourself and say, I'm good, I'm bad. You can't do that. So let's look at verse 2 and let's look at the point at the fact that we are incapable of judging ourselves or assessing ourselves. Just notice how Solomon starts, verse 2 every way of a man. Every way. Now, we've talked about this idea of ways before. This is, a, this is a pretty common metaphor used by Solomon. And this means a course of life, the way that one acts, the way that one thinks. 
every single one of those. And I thought, really, Lord, every single one? Every single thing? Every single conduct? The way that I think, the way that I live life? All of that? I mean, I mean think about that. Think about the scope of the entirety of your life. And let's just think this morning, getting ready for church this morning. Think of all of the things that you've done and all the things you've done to get prepared to come this morning. In your mind, how much sinning did you do? Normally, we'd go, I didn't do any. I was getting ready for church, right? And so the, the point is, we look at our life, we look at the things we do, and we go, yeah, this was right and pleasing to the Lord. Even though we know that there's times that we've done things that are disobedient, we're able to justify ourselves, we're able to look at ourselves and spin for ourselves that we're doing something righteous, that we're doing something good for the Lord. Think about the level of self-deception that's required for us to think of ourselves in this way. And so I thought, is it possible that man can lie to himself and be so self-delusional, uh, delude, delude himself, be so deceitful to himself? Is it possible that the scriptures talk about the heart in such a way that the heart lies to me? Yep. I want to show you a couple verses and I think just looking at a couple of these verses will make you go, oh my, I, I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. Let's start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Let's go to verse 9. Notice what Jeremiah says here. Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, that's not a good uh, start to our little study about the human heart. The heart is is deceitful above all things, meaning the heart lies a lot. And then notice what he says, and desperately sick. Well, that ain't good either, right? So the human heart, apart from God's working on it, the fleshly, natural man, lies to himself a lot, and is desperately sick. Even a believer who's not walking by the power of the Spirit, we lie to ourselves a lot, and the heart and and the flesh is desperately sick. And so then notice what Jeremiah says, who can understand it? Who can understand it? It it lies, it's so deceitful, it's so sick, it's so twisted, how can you understand yourself? You lie to yourself. And And then notice what Jeremiah says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. So, so what's the objective standard that helps us understand who we are? It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who does that, right? Let's go to a, another one. Let's go to the book of James. Let's flip-flop to the New Testament. Let's just go to James chapter 1. On... Uh, Wednesday night, we have our prayer, or Wednesday afternoon, I guess, we have our prayer service. Would encourage everybody to come out to it. It's a great time of fellowship with each other. 
with the Lord. And we spent a little bit of time in the Word, and we've been kind of walking through James and uh, thinking about some things in James. And, and James is a really interesting book because you're dealing with a lot of things that we deal with today. And, and as James is trying to deal with some of the issues that are going on in, in the early church, notice, notice what, he, what he says here in verse, uh, verse 16. He said, do not be deceived. 116, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, why would he say such a thing? Do not be deceived. Because it's easy to be deceived. Right? So notice, notice, what he's supposed, notice what we're not supposed to be deceived about. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, why would, now why, how would that be deceptive to us? Simple. We think that there are good gifts and perfect gifts that we can either, one, achieve by our own action or that we can get through temptation. So, so that's what temptation does. Temptation offers something and we go, I want that. That's a good thing. We justify, we lie, we act crazy and say, yeah, that's a good thing to go after. I can get that good gift outside of God's timing, outside of God's will, in a way that's outside of what he wants for me. I can get that, and that's a great and perfect thing for me to have. James says, don't be deceived, meaning you deceive yourself. There's someone else deceiving you. So he says, he says, uh, so this perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will he brought forth, or he brought us forth by the word of truth. Notice the word of truth. The Bible is such an important book because it, it, it's that thing that offers that standard for us. It's the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, keep on going on. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Verse 22. But be a doer of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You see that? Deceiving yourself. So, so meaning it's possible for me to simply just read the book, think I'm doing okay just by hearing the words, that it doesn't have to really seep into my soul and I have to live it out, and that itself is a self-deception. Right? That's a deception. Now, now notice what he says. Verse 23. For if... Anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now notice the next verse. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Oh, man. There's another one. 
Meaning, it's possible to think of myself as being very pious, being very religious. I do all of these things, but if I can't control my tongue, but I think of myself as this theological giant, godly saint of the ages, that they will make a bust of me someday and name churches and seminaries after us, but I can't control the way I talk, I'm only fooling myself. Now, notice in this section, three times, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Why would he say that? Because we deceive ourselves. A couple more. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Notice what he says in verse 3. Galatians 6, 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There you go again. Who thinks of himself as being something when he's nothing, that is self-deception. Oh, let's go to 1 John. 1 John. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. Let's just start in verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh Uh-oh. That's possible, right? Now, there's plenty more we could go to. I mean, like, we could go to 1 Corinthians. We could go to Deuteronomy. There's a lot in Jeremiah. I mean, we could spend some time in Romans, if you want, talking about self-deception. We could go to Hebrews 3.13. Let's do that. Let's go to Hebrews 3.13. I want to show you that it seems like almost every single author of the Bible talks about the self-deception of the heart. Notice what, notice what the author of Hebrews says. Let, let, let's just go to 3.12, focusing on verse 13. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by, you ready? The deceitfulness of sin. So not only does our heart lie to us, but it seems like when we're not walking by the Spirit, sin itself messes with our mind and the way that we think. And as it messes with our mind, changes things, changes perspectives, changes values, allows us to justify ourselves so that, so that we don't feel so condemned there's this deceitfulness of sin, and sin continues to mess with us, right? So when I think of this just opening statement, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. You can understand how scripturally, yeah, that is an understatement because we lie to ourselves so much. So going back to Proverbs 21... Notice, notice what he says. Proverbs 21, verse 2. 
He says, so every way of a man is right. This word for right means righteous, uh, pleasing to God. That's really the idea. So people think that the things that they're doing, even if they don't look into the scriptures, they think that they're right with God. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who didn't know God? Clearly, clearly was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they thought they were okay with God. That God was just some sort of great grandfather up in heaven who's going to, when they go up, he'll, he'll give them a stern look and go, that's ah, okay, here's a peppermint. Go have some fun. You didn't know any better. Why would they think that of themselves? Why would they think that of themselves? Because the deception of our own hearts lies to us and makes us think that we're better than what we really are and that we're right with God when we're not. And then notice, notice this, this image, right? So every man is right in his own eyes, meaning that when man only thinks of himself and other men and uses the wisdom from men and from himself, gauging himself by himself, he always will see himself as being right. So, so in, the, in the original question, why should any of us submit to the Lord the answer's simple. The wise understands, I can't trust my own assessment of myself. So why would I then go say, I can do whatever I want. I can go my own way. I can do it my way. No wise person would do that. They would say, no, the heart is wicked, and I lie to myself. Now, there's another part. Notice the next part of verse 2. It says, but the Lord weighs the heart. This idea of weighing the heart is, is this idea of assessing the heart. It tells us what the heart, he, he's the only one that's able to look at the heart and look at the things that are happening inside of the heart. You and I can't do this. I, I can't assess myself. But God can assess me. I, I, I can't make a judgment about my character for myself. Because I'm, I'm always going to see myself as being righteous. I'm always going to see myself. I, I struggle with self-righteousness as everybody else does. So obviously I'm always going to see myself as putting my best foot forward. I always had good intentions to do sin. I had really good intentions in cutting the guy off a couple days ago out in the street. I had really good intentions for not waiting. I had really good intentions for yelling. I had really good intentions for being angry. All of those things. We easily can justify our sin. But when we, when we match ourselves to God's word, the one who weighs us, who evaluates us, who sees us for who we are, who can stand? Now, we've already seen this principle. This isn't a new principle in the book of Proverbs. Right? Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about God, through his spirit and through his word, is able to analyze us, able to look at us and scrutinize us. We even went to the book of Hebrews where it talks about how the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting all the way down to the division of joint and marrow and and is able to judge intentions. And, And then what did he say? We're all laid bare before his sight, meaning the word of God does something. God does something in his word. God, by his spirit, does something that as we're reading the word, we get a dose of objectivity. 
and we see ourselves for who we are. Before, we thought we were pretty good. When we look into the word, we go, no, 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 I'm not that. I'm not that. And the word of God not only just tells us how bad we are, but praise be to God that he also then offers up Jesus Christ, right? That would be a terrible thing to just let us know how bad we were and then go, there you go. You're bad. No, he offers a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then he doesn't leave us. He doesn't go, well, now that you know Jesus, good luck. What does he do? He gives us the spirit. He gives us the word. He gives us fellow believers. And, and as we're walking by the spirit, spending time in his word, fellowshipping with him, as we're, as we're around each other, what, what happens We stimulate one another to love and good deed. There's this doses, this constant dose of reality and objectivity, and we see ourselves for who we are. We see the greatness of God. We see the brilliance of God. We see the brilliance of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And what does it do? And we we, we then fling ourselves at Christ and say, I'm not worthy of anything you've given me, but it's your grace by which I have come, and you're making me into the image of your Son. But God weighs the heart. I thought this past week, how is it that God is able to so easily judge our heart and weigh our heart? And I thought, well, if you just simply just think of some of the attributes of God, it is quite obvious that there's really no way for us to hide anything from him. That he not, that, that he not only can weigh the heart, but he can weigh everything in the heart. So let me just, these are in no order, by the way. Just think of some of the attributes of God that we know. First, God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. So there you go. Try hiding something from a, from a God who knows everything. Good luck. Like, you can't do that. So, so how, how can he judge the heart accurately? Because he knows everything. Think of this. He's also holy. Being, being holy, and as he acts as... As, as he demonstrates his, his character and his awesome transcendent glory, and as we see that throughout Scripture, and he himself so intensely loves what is good, he can't be swayed by money. He can't take a bribe. He, he's no respecter of man that you could go, yeah, but I, I go to church. And he goes, great. He's holy. That standard of good does not bend. He doesn't bend. He doesn't change in some of that. Think of something else. He's eternal. He's not bound to our culture. He's not bound to to what our culture says is right and what our culture says is wrong. He transcends culture. He transcends time. He's He's not bound in the same constraints that we are. Think of this. He, 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 uh, He's the only one in the universe that has a free will. Now, I don't want to open up a can of worms and then say, well, okay, goodbye, but, but know this. No one has a free will but God. The idea of a free will is this, is that I, a free will is, is someone who can choose any option and is not limited and is not influenced. The scripture teaches Our options are always limited. It teaches that we're constantly influenced. 
Now, the scriptures do teach that we have a real will, meaning that we do make reasonable self-determination, right? We have reasonable self-determination. But it's not free. It's influenced. It's limited. So when I think of God and his will, there's no limit. And he is not swayed. So here you have this true free agent who knows all things, who is eternal, who's no respecter of man, loving what is good, holy, righteous, merciful, and he looks at the human heart, and he can truly judge the human heart without bias. I can't do that. I can't do that for myself. You can't do that for yourself. The Apostle Paul says something very similar in the book of Corinthians where Paul says, it's a really small thing for me to be judged by you, Church of Corinth. And then he says, but I don't judge myself. The Lord is my judge. That's a really good attitude to have. That's the best attitude to have. The number one judgment that I care about and the assessment of my heart and of my soul has to be the one that comes from the Lord has to be the one that's found in the word. It's a small thing for us to judge each other. It's a small thing for us to assess ourselves. So the question is, what, what kind of advice should we, should we take away? What, what are some of the takeaways that we should have of this text? Let me just give you four quick ones, and then, and then we'll, we'll sing our closing song. The first piece of advice, I think, is very simple. Don't trust your own assessment of yourself. Don't do it. Don't look at yourself and say, I'm good. Just know. A wise person knows, I can't trust myself. I'm willing to lie to myself. I'll lie to myself all the time. And I'm okay with lying to myself. I don't need fake news. I make my own fake news. My heart is a fake news factory. And I broadcast that fake news to the whole part of me. Here's the second thing. Avoid self-justification. So don't trust your assessment of yourself. And when there's that moment where you're trying to justify yourself, there's an action and you're, you're saying, I did it because it's right because avoid that. That's not wise. It's not wise. Because, because who are you to judge yourself? Are you objective when it comes to you? Obviously, then the third is this, is when you are making decisions, since you can't assess yourself, and since you easily make justifications for yourself, ready? Don't, don't make decisions solely based off of your own thinking. Remember in the book of Judges, when we studied the book of Judges, how many times it says, there was no king, therefore everybody did what was right in their own eyes? That's bad. The believer should be constantly walking by the Spirit. And as we're walking by the Spirit, what's happening? We are yielding to him. There's the fruit of the Spirit. We we need to be constantly doing that. The flesh is constantly waging war with us, wanting us to be fleshly. And when we're fleshly, we lie to ourselves. We don't want that. We want to walk by the Spirit. What else do we do? We spend time in the word. If this is God's word that, that, that exposes who we are, then it would make sense 
that I don't assess myself. I don't try to justify myself. I, I, I don't try to make decisions based off of only what I'm thinking. I go to God first. I assess my day based off of God's word. I spend time in his word. I know what it says. Not just a simple verse a day. We're talking about serious time in the word, evaluating myself and God. I would also say this, spending time in prayer. Prayer is a great thing that the Lord has given us. Not only that we can communicate with the creator of the universe, but when we're praying, we're aligning ourselves with God's will. Right? That's what we're doing. We're praying your will, not mine. There's that whole, there's, it requires us to, to, to not be so subjective. It requires us to think bigger than our, just ourselves. It, it, it calls us to have this relationship with God. And as we get closer to God, the more we see ourselves and the better we can understand ourselves. And then lastly, just thinking of the book of Hebrews. One of the other things that's really important, sometimes we downplay it. We shouldn't. It's coming together as a church in times like this. You, you realize that the Lord has given us bodies of believers who are also walking by the Spirit with these different gifts that are edifying us to make us more like Jesus. And as we come together seeking to edify one another, that the process that happens is I'm being driven back to the word to uphold Jesus, to think of the gospel, to think of his grace. And what is the consequence of that? The consequence of that is clearly, clearly this uh, true, true sense of, of uh, who we are. And uh, we, we see who we are, but we, more importantly, we see who we are in the light of Christ. So, I just realized right now that we were supposed to have the Lord's Supper and I completely forgot while I was preaching. That's okay. So, this is what I'm going to say. We're still going to do the Lord's Supper. If you have to go because you have an appointment 